1: the pandemic, cutting down on crime, expanding the borough's mass transit options, and solving our traffic woes, all in a year's time? A columnist can dream, can he? Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance senior opinions writer Tom Robleski to discuss his 2022 wish list for the borough. Thanks for joining me today, Tom. How's the new year treating you so far?
0: Uh, Everything's been okay, except it's a little uh, cold and uh, my Buffalo Bills lost in the playoffs, but other than that, everything's good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it certainly has been very cold lately. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this list. This is a column that you did, just kind of what we'd like to see in the borough this year moving forward. And I I think the first item on your list is something that all Staten Islanders are hoping and and praying for, which is an end to the coronavirus pandemic. And I'm I'm just kind of curious in your mind, what does that look like? And what do we still need to do to get there?
0: Well, I think we hear more and more talk about how we need to start living with COVID instead of shutting down from COVID all the time. What I would like to see, I understand there's going to be people who are going to want to wear masks. There are people who are going to be vaccinated, boosted, but not to have it mandated. So for example, you know, if a restaurant wants to make you show a VAX card, that's up to them, but everybody doesn't have to do it. The supermarket wants you to wear a mask while you're in there. I don't think it should be mandated. I think it could be other, you know, individual choice. I think that would allow a lot of people to kind of exhale. You could go back to concerts, go to you know basketball games, baseball games. And and I think with Omicron, now I know there's this other variant all of a sudden, not this sub-variant, whatever they want to call it. So we could be whipping this all up again. But with Omicron being, you know, more transmissible but not quite as lethal, harmful, I think maybe now is a time to say, well, let's try to make things a little more voluntary. And then, you know, let's see where that takes us.
1: You mentioned the vaccine mandates, and I know that's been a very hot topic on Staten Island and across the city as a whole, really. But there's so many of them at this point, right? You're talking about, you know, you touched on the mandates to maybe go to a sporting event or to uh, go to the movies. But then there's also these vaccine mandates for people to do their jobs, which we saw was a big problem we've had certain groups protesting these mandates we've seen it with the schools when the teachers were mandated to get their uh, vaccines so i'm curious why do you think that this issue has resonated so much with staten islanders and why is it so important to kind of get back to a, a normalcy where that's no longer required
0: well i think it's a matter of it's a personal freedom issue for a lot of people listen even before covid you know we had a lot of controversy about vaccinations i don't want to stir people up but it was already a segment of the population that was that was down on vaccinations so to be told hey you have to get vaccinated it's almost like pre therapy for for your covid as opposed to more it's not exactly like a flu vaccine is So I think it became, you know, a a personal liberty question. And interestingly, it kind of flips the conservative and liberal paradigm, right? My body, my choice. Now, all of a sudden, it's on different sides of that aisle. And I I guess there's an irony to that. I I never thought that people should lose their jobs, particularly, you know, for for not having a vaccine. For example, I'm vaccinated. I'm not boosted. I had COVID. My antibodies are through the roof. So I'm concerned also that there's enough information about studies that say too much vaccination will actually inhibit your body's Ability to fight off COVID, perhaps. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm va- what's what's the definition of vaccination too? That's also sort of changing, right? It used to be, get the two shots and you're vaccinated. Now it's like maybe you got to get boosted. So I think the moving of the goalposts has also something that's frustrated people as well. In addition to, well, now wear the N95 mask as opposed to the other masks that we've been wearing for almost 700 days. So I think sometimes the messaging has not been consistent. I get it. It's a moving, it's a moving target, what's happening with this pandemic. But I think that's been frustrating for a lot of people as well.
1: And I think another thing that's been interesting to see about the vaccine mandates is that, you know, early on when the vaccine first became available, it kind of became this thing, either people are pro-vaccination or they're against vaccination. And then you start adding, adding, in these mandates. And you have these instances where there are plenty of people out there that I know that are, you know, pro-vaccination. They want people to get vaccinated. They think they should, but they're still against the mandates. They don't think that these people should be required to do that in order to do their job, in order to go out to dinner, in order to enjoy a movie. And, you know, I just think it's interesting that even the people who are encouraging the vaccination, many of them, obviously, not all of them, feel that these mandates are are just kind of a step too far. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think also when it comes to kids, now in Understand, we, we vaccinate kids for a lot of things in the schools, but we, we generally vaccinate kids for diseases that, you know, impact kids and that are really bad for kids. Polio. And, and I, I've heard the arguments many times because I've written things and I've, I've gotten pushback from it. And I'm like, you know, COVID has not been that type of illness for kids. You don't want any kid to get COVID. You don't want any kid to be sick. At the beginning, we were told, well, vaccination, that's our way out of the pandemic. And now it seems with Omicron, people who are vaccinated, boosted even, are getting sick. Some of them are even going to the hospital, the unvaccinated in greater numbers, obviously, but also the vaccination has been like, has been no guarantee. Also, we were told at the beginning, only a certain percentage of the population would have to get vaccinated. Then if you added in the people who had the acquired immunity from being sick and you put that together, you get a certain level of 70, 80% of the population and that should help. You know, It turns out that that's not the way it's happened. I don't know if that's because of the unique properties of COVID-19 and all of its uh, variants, or whether it's you know the vaccine, how things are being done, but I think when you start adding all these things on top of it, and then they point the finger at you and say, "Okay, uh, healthcare worker, subway worker, grocery store worker, you can't come to work unless you've got you know a vaccination." I think that's when you see people sort of say, at least start to question. And then last thought: sometimes you can't even question. Because then you're anti-science, you're anti-vaccine, you're, and I understand that. I want to go. I'm not in Joe Rogan land, <laughs> but you know, a guy like Bill Maher, for example, some very reasonable arguments about. Well, hey, listen, you know, I took one for the team. How many am I supposed to take for the team? And I think more and more people, who were even with the program as you were indicating, are now saying like, I got to go outside. It's 25 degrees. I got to go wait outside to get a test because somebody's got a sniffle in the house. So I think that's what's leading to a lot of frustrations.
1: Let's shift away from COVID for just a little bit. And I know we spoke about this a little bit the last time that you were on to discuss the November election results. But another thing that was on your list was Staten Islanders just building a better relationship with City Hall or or perhaps City Hall building a better relationship with Staten Islanders, to be honest. Um, But can you talk a little bit just about that issue that Staten Island had had during the de Blasio administration and, and how Mayor Eric Adams can kind of improve on that in the coming year?
0: Well, I mean, my opinion was he couldn't do worse right <laughs> than de blasio it became like benign kind of neglect and then just actual neglect you know and this happened during the pandemic too resources that would go to the other boroughs wouldn't come here we didn't have a, a you know public hospital other things like that listen Democrats generally don't need Staten Island to win citywide elections so there's an opportunity for them to kind of ignore us if they want to. So I think that's what happened with, and plus Bill de Blasio was a very liberal Democrat. Even Democrats on Staten Island in the main are not that liberal. You know, they're not on the socialist end of, of the scale. They're more, you're Mike Cusick, Mike McMahon, down the middle Democrats. So I think from the beginning, it was almost going to be tough for us to coexist. But I think too often, you know, de Blasio kind of forgot there are five boroughs. Um, We have things out here. We will talk about traffic. I know where we're we're a car dependent borough. That's not like the other boroughs. We don't have the mass transit. There's a whole different vibe out here. It's more, you know, sort of suburban. It's more conservative voting, even though there's more Democrats than Republicans. And that continues to surprise people, you know, because the Democrats tend to get older and they tend to elect more Republicans. So I think it was a, a hard mix from the beginning. I don't think he did a lot to improve it. And frankly, I don't I after while, I I think even people out here who voted for him kind of, you know, uh, got tired of him. And then he killed the groundhog on top of that. So (laughs) yeah, that was that wasn't great. So so what can Eric Adams do
1: in the in the coming year to kind of uh, bolster that relationship with us?
0: Well, I I, I think, first of all, attacking the crime problem, which I know he's already laid out a program for that and getting the guns off the street. I think um, I don't think there's anything better in politics doesn't matter who you are. And Senator Schumer is the is the master at this. There's nothing better than being present than showing your face. Then coming, not just when it's a special occasion, not just when you've got, you know, a story to sell or something. You just, you know, come out here. So I haven't been to Staten Island in a couple of weeks. Schumer's thing is he wants to go to every county in the state, like, within a certain cycle of time every month. You know, he wants to get to all 62. So I think that should be something that Eric Adams does, and not just on the North Shore, because that was another problem that was happening with de Blasio. He's comfortable on the North Shore. You know, a lot of Dems don't want to go to the South Shore. They feel like it's going to be a hostile environment for them. A lot of, you know, Republicans don't like to come to the North Shore. I get that. I get that as well I mean, it, 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 it's it's double-edged so I think just being present coming here and not just for bells and whistles things come here have a meal let people know you know maybe uh go to the atrium theater take a page out of the Pete Davidson book or whatever and you know uh he likes to get out he likes the nightlife you know he's uh he, he's out and about so maybe you know come be out and about here come down to uh Minthorne Street Van Dusa Street go down to Angelina's Just let people get to know you and get to see you. And plus the fact that he's a retired uh, NYPD captain. He does a lot of police officers on Staten Island, a lot of uniformed personnel, firefighters. They understand that city worker, municipal mentality. That should also help him kind of bridge the gap. Plus, he's the second, you know, elected uh, black mayor in the city's history. You come to those communities on Staten Island and, 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 and... you know, and show up there as well. I, I think he's got a great opportunity to to be an all-around sort of public official for Staten Island.
1: You touched on crime and safety uh, in, in that response, and I know that that was something that was also included on your wish list. Is taking a taking a real bite out of uh, crime is, I think, the way you put it, which I liked. Something that's been at the forefront of New Yorkers' minds recently, especially in the past few weeks, when we've seen uh, a number of police officers shot. And so as a former nypd captain it, it seems as though mayor adams would be well positioned to tackle this problem head on what can he do to cut down on crime
0: you know stop and frisk right we'll talk about stop and frisk because that was the one main way that the nypd used to get guns off the street now it's it's racial profiling when it goes too far so mayor de blasio kind of pulled back on all that again given his experience given the fact that he's african-american This is a guy who I think is ideally situated to go after guns, do smart law enforcement, while also preserving civil liberties. When you've got people being pushed on the subway, it's unfortunate to say this, but it's it's a fact, and you know because you've been been around a long time as well. There's crime in certain neighborhoods. There's not crime in other neighborhoods. When crime starts getting out of control, it starts getting into places – and it's listen, it's bad no matter where it is, and it should be attacked – when it starts getting into other areas, the subways, the ferry terminals, you know, midtown areas where people just don't feel safe no matter where they go. They don't feel safe in the subway. They don't feel safe on the ferry. That's when you've got a real problem. When you think people, you, you don't want to go on the sub. When people are waiting outside the turnstiles for their trains because they're afraid of being pushed on, you know, onto the tracks, then you've got a problem. I think there's been, I think the bail reform movement, and I, I, I've written about this, I've gotten pushback on it, kind of went too far. I think it sent the message to the uh, bad actors out there that I'm probably not going to get arrested for this. If I get arrested for this, I'm not going to have to post bail. If I can't, even if I ask to post bail, I'm probably, I'm probably not going to go to jail. We've got a, a DA in Manhattan who basically says I'm not going to prosecute A, B, C, and D levels of crime. I think that just sends. A, a bad message and I think stepping back on quality of life enforcement listen if, if, if your dad told you you weren't going to get punished for taking the car you'd take the car all the time and you wouldn't worry about consequences I don't want you to home you, come home by midnight and if there's no consequences then all you're going to do is have is have more bad activity and criminal activity we'll be right back the mayor of
1: maple avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about sean sinesee a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to The Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. The next item on your list, uh, I think, is something that would make a whole lot of Staten Islanders very happy, but I'm I'm not sure it's too likely to happen, which is the elimination of the speed cameras. I know me and you have discussed this issue a lot over the years, but why do you think that it, the city should do away with these things? And, and how likely do you think it is that that will actually happen?
0: Well, I think it's unlikely to happen, obviously. I think I think the city, once there's a revenue stream... The city sort of gets addicted to it and it's very difficult to to remove it from the budget. They're oh, there's there's these hundreds of millions of dollars coming in and we're sending them to parks and libraries and schools and museums. So, you know, I think I would feel better about the speed cameras if they would just acknowledge that it does nothing when it comes it, it does it doesn't do for safety what they say it does. It doesn't attack as you and I know the the main causes of accidents, which you can look at the NYPD's own statistics. It's all oh, it's it's distracted driving, it's it's any number of other instances. And down the list, it's speeding. You know, it's it's failure to yield, uh, making a bad turn, whatever else. And they just they blame the drivers. I honestly listen, drivers are maniacs sometimes. I get it. We're on Staten Island, we know. We've been tailgated, you know, we've been passed on roads, people are speeding all over the place. I get that. But not every incident is the is the fault of a driver and not every incident is because there was speed so and we saw the slippery slope and we knew it was going to happen oh it's only going to be certain times only in certain places now it's everywhere at all times round the clock so you know i i think if they pulled back on that a little bit maybe we'd feel better but you know we don't have a big voice in these kinds of decisions anymore
1: yeah and it'll be interesting to see because uh... I think it is actually potentially more likely that the ca- uh, that the program is expanded again as opposed to done away with because we saw before mayor de Blasio left office that one of the last things that he was really championing is uh, to expand this program again to 24/7 365 operation where right now it's you know weekdays uh, I believe it's 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. which is a, a pretty large span to begin with but the city released this report they said that you know X amount of these accidents who Take that take place in this area or in times where the cameras couldn't operate. They kind of use that as justification yeah, for course. for right. why yeah. that might you know benefit from from expanding them. So uh, I, I know that it's on your list that it's something that Staten Islanders would love to to kind of get rid of these things. But I think it's unfortunately more likely that we'll see them for longer and and operating uh, potentially around the clock.
0: They already changed the definition of the zone, right? Yeah, the right. school zone right. is right. And don't forget, this is something. This is something for you and I to both watch. And you, when you are a role as a transit reporter, traffic reporter, your Rodriguez is the new DOT commissioner. This is one of those guys who, in the City Council, was very uh, was was a Vision Zero zealot. Mm-hmm. And we've got congestion pricing coming in. We've and, and we've got other things coming in, whether they do the mile per, you know, charging you for every mile you drive, you know, charging you to park on a residential street. Other cities do this. It, it, it impacts us disproportionately because we're more reliant on cars. Why? leading into your next issue, I, I guess, is uh, the lack of mass transit because we have no choice but to drive.
1: Y- yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say I want to stick with the transportation stuff because it's always great to have you on to talk about this and the the limited mass transit options. I mean, it's always been an issue on Staten Island, right? There's no subway connecting us to the rest of the city. Um, but, you know, we've gotten some help and, and we're hoping that there's more help on the way. The city did launch our NYC ferry route in St. George this summer that connects us to um, Midtown West, which is useful. And I know I've written it. I I enjoyed it. A lot of people have been giving good reviews of it so far. Now people are trying to push the city to expand that route to Brooklyn. And then we've got the MTA uh, also studying these rapid transit routes on the North Shore, on the West Shore, whether that be a bus rapid transit or a potential light rail, which is a little less likely due to the cost that would be associated with it. Why do you think it's so important for the city to offer us these additional transit options? And and, and what do you think would be, which of these projects, I guess, do you think would be the most beneficial?
0: official to us well I, and first of all i have to give credit to, to mayor de blasio i didn't think that this fast ferry route was gonna was gonna work so all, all credit to him for i thought it was the, you know the wrong route it seems that that mid the uh downtown part is really what's really popular with people that goes kind of near the oculus and, mm-hmm. and in that area i think going to bay ridge from either stapleton or whatever is 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 a no-brainer mm-hmm. especially if you can and now you've got Governor Hochul looking to reactivate that rail line from Brooklyn through Queens, which would terminate at Bay Ridge. So for us to hook over to that, I think it makes perfect sense. If they're going to study bringing that route, it's, it's an old rail, a freight line that's gone, you know, that's in disrepair. The North Shore Rail—I don't know how much of that infrastructure is left, but there's a lot of that infrastructure still left. The city still owns the right of way. I know it's—it's going to be tough. It's behind the restaurant there on the North Shore, mm-hmm. and there's something there at least that you could possibly build on. Look how long it's taken to get a, a busway or, yeah. or these other things that that people said so was simple—you just paint some lines in the street and you've got a busway—and it takes, you know, it takes eons worth of time. But I think a fast ferry from, say, Stapleton. Irby area, where there's there's uh, an SI uh, railway stop that could get you into Brooklyn. I mean, listen, we're surrounded by water. We may as well use it until we can fly. You know, over all of this stuff, you know, like the Jetsons. I, I think the waterway is is going to be the way that that that, that is the future.
1: Sticking with the uh, the transit stuff, I think this is a topic that that was on your list, but I think it's been on Staten Islander's wish lists for decades, really, and that's improving this horrendous traffic situation that we see in the borough. I mean, we got a little bit of a break during the start of the pandemic; those first few months when everyone was locked down, most people were staying at home, no one was commuting to work, no one was going into school. I I'd never seen the Staten Island Expressway that empty before, even the local yeah. roads. But True. now we've seen in the recent months that the traffic is getting back to those pre-pandemic levels. If you look at the volumes on the on the Verizano Bridge or, or or on any of the Port Authority bridges, we're at you know ninety to a hundred percent of where we were, and it, it just feels like the same old, same old for Staten Islanders, unfortunately. And so I, I'm curious, what are some things that you'd like to see done, you know, in the coming year or years, really, to reduce that traffic issue?
0: Well, let me say from the outset, part of this is our fault. Multi-car households—I mean, how many people, you know, have two, three, and four cars in the household? There's, there's only you're like we're not making any more Staten Island. It's, it's, it's a finite, you know, amount of space. So there's that, and I think we still have a bit of a pandemic hangover. Obviously, people don't want to be on mass transit. So I think that there's there's they're they're, they're driving their kids to school, they're going to work, uh, they're they they don't want to be on the bus, they don't want to be on the subway. There's been an explosion from what i see of um for higher cars whether it's lyft or uber i see a lot of those tlc license plates on cars and i'm and i gotta tell you this is a pet peeve of mine whenever you're driving behind one of these cars they go so slow because they're looking at the dashboard at the at the phone to try to pick up their next they're trying to pick up their next ride plus you've also got Waze and google maps sending people off of the main roads now so there is no more shortcut If your shortcut was going over Howard Avenue like mine was and coming down, now you're jammed up. I'm not sure what the answer is other than, and even if you gave people a subway, a lot of people may not want to take it. So I'm not even sure, you know, what what the answer is other than, you know, doing something major to fix the SIE so that that's not log jammed all the time. It seems it's worse always going eastbound as opposed to going westbound. People are addicted to their cars in, in a lot of ways. Kids aren't going to, you know, you're not going to take the subway when you go out on a date or a bus or or standalone railway train. Maybe another couple of rail lines, maybe that would help. I, I Really, I, I've pondered this and I know you have. We sit around like yeah. if I had the power to do it all, what would I do? And I'm like, besides eliminating like a third of the cars on stat- <laughs> or, or God forbid limiting saying you can you can only have two cars in your household or you've got to pay to park it or whatever it's you know congestion pricing i mean i it's 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 scary what could be done because again the sie is a major commerce route from the south to the northeast from you know for, for goods transportation and and everything else so there's no getting rid of that
1: yeah absolutely and i know that one thing that um former Councilman Matteo had been pushing for in, in recent years was for the state DOT to finish, well, to extend the HOV lane, but he, he refers to it as finish the HOV lane because right now it cuts off at Victory Boulevard instead of going all the way to the Gothels Bridge. And I think that that one feels like a pretty straightforward answer to it. I mean, obviously, it's it's not going to fix all of our problems, right? But, uh, I mean, why not almost at this point? And the reasons that have been given by the DOT over the year are, are are a bit ridiculous. I mean, they claim that the that the lane is functioning as as intended and that it's not creating any additional traffic at the terminus when all the cars are forced to merge back in. But I mean, anyone who drives on the Staten Island Expressway knows that that, that that's not really the case. So that that feels like something that that could be done. And then you, you factor in that. You know, this, the state is receiving some additional federal funding through the new infrastructure bill. Uh, and you would think that this is just kind of a common sense solution to, to make some progress on that SIE traffic. But it, to this point, the, the state just doesn't seem willing.
0: And, and the other problem, too, is that Bradley Avenue, you know, exit only lane that goes on for half a mile. You know what happens. People are using that as a travel lane. Yeah. So and then they're edging back into traffic. Half a mile beyond that is what you're talking about, the Victory Boulevard where you've got a break right before victory where you've got to get back in off the HOV lane. So you've got one bottleneck, then you got the other bottleneck. And then more i I'm telling you, I don't know if you're noticing this, I am more and more people are using the shoulders as travel lanes. Uh-huh. They're they're if they're getting off at of Victory Boulevard or Richmond Avenue, they're traveling on those lanes, they're using them as travel lanes. It's getting scary. Right. And and again, I think that HOV lane. It's it's a matter of just like paving, and it's not like there's no one. There's no owls that live there. There's no environmental. There's no pond. There's no you know. Right. There's just you know. It's just highway. It's just asphalt. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And you know we've got all these new bridges and you know the Bayonne Bridge, the Goblin Bridge. Just do it, and and at least get some relief out of that. So people are not edging back into traffic there. It's ridiculous. And if and if people, and if if people that HOV lane is a failure, let everybody use it all the time. Just forget about it. And, and so, you know,
1: that covers most of the wish list. But, you know, while I have you on, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, your process when it comes to writing these columns. Because when we have our reporters on, we talk to them about, you know, gathering data, finding sources, dealing with the city, that kind of stuff. But for you, it's a little different now because you're kind of opining on the news instead of reporting it. Um, but, you know, you're obviously someone who was a reporter for us for a very long time before shifting into this uh, into this columnist uh, role. So I was just curious, what are some of the key differences that you've noticed between reporting and opinion writing? And and how do you decide which topics that you want to tackle that you feel are worthy of, uh, you know, discussing?
0: Well, I mean, we're all watching metrics, obviously. So you, you, we're, let's, we're trying to hit a sweet spot with that. I try to do stuff like we talk about traffic, we talk about what's going on in the supermarket, mask mandates, whatever. I try to hit what is like, feels like real life to people. I'll also do the political stuff, Biden, Trump, you know, whatever else, Vito Fasella. I'll also do some of that stuff. But it's it, it tends to be what, you know, what I, feel like my neighbors and my friends what we're talking about you're out at the bar or you're at the game and what are you talking about what well, we're talking about mass mandates we're talking about the traffic we're talking about you know eric adams we're talking about the blasio and i think it's staten island kind of that the voice gets lost sometimes in city government in state government we're so small we have small uh, legislative delegations so i i like to have that i like to have that opportunity to be of to, to be a voice you know it's i i, I never thought i would be that i never thought i would like you know chirp up and 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 put my you know myself on the line like that i'm actually shy in a lot of ways I'm, I'm really not i'm not a confrontational person although some people think i am by how i write but i also like you know i was in the park the other day and i saw this thing What you know what, what the hell was that i saw you know talk about the deer and the turkeys you know I'm, I'm trying to talk about what people are talking about around the table you know or at the bar anyway
1: yeah and I think it's uh, an interesting point that you noted there is that obviously you know like any company we're, we're looking to perform well and so we look at that data and, and those analytics and we see what stories are resonating with our readerships which ones are getting the most views which ones are, are likely to you know get clicks if you were to opine on them but then there's also the aspect of you know the on the ground the the at the bar what, what do you think uh, what are you talking talking about these days, the walking through the park. And so I I think it's a really nice mix of uh, kind of looking at the data, looking at the analytics, but then also just kind of having your thumb on the pulse of, of, you know, what the everyday person is talking about. Because, you know, sometimes the data, those views, they could be coming from places off Staten Island. Sometimes the story goes viral and it's getting clicks from you know, Albuquerque or whatever, but you know, having that mm-hmm. actual Staten Islander uh, feel to it kind of adds a different layer almost. And so uh, I thought that that was uh, really interesting. And you know, I think it's funny that you mentioned that you're not necessarily uh, confrontational or, or you're, you're a little shy in some of these things because obviously by putting your opinion out there, you're opening yourself up to. I'll call it criticism or or feedback from our readers who aren't always the kindest bunch, especially if they don't agree with what you're saying. And (laughs) so... I'm curious, kind of, we deal with this as reporters too, but it's probably even even more so for you because you're actually, you know, giving an opinion on these things. But what's it like hearing from people after you post your columns? And I was wondering if you had any examples of of emails or or, or comments that you've received over the years that really stuck with you.
0: Well, I mean, I I get a lot of supportive emails, so I have to say that first. But, you know, Eric, I... I'm probably out of step with most of the people you and I work with. I mean, let's be honest, right? Some of the things that I write. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get get a lot of pushback when I question pandemic regulations. I get people who say, oh, my family members are uh, doctors or nurses, which to me is the most dangerous thing. It's like me, oh, my brother's a plumber, so I can come over and I can fix your sink. You know, (laughs) it's not the same thing. I had one gentleman recently who hoped he wished I got the virus. He said, well, you know, I hope you get the virus. And I'm like, well, I had the virus already, so... To people who and I and I'll engage with people I believe in diversity of thought right that's that's the, that that to me is the top diversity right not to put any other diversity down you know these days but if somebody's abusive to me and I've had that you know I've had people they just they they write me an email they they curse me out they uh call names and I'm like listen if you really had a point to make you wouldn't need to you know call me a jackass so let's you know and I'll engage I don't go back and forth because I realize hey we don't see eye to eye It's okay if we don't see eye to eye. Let's not let's not get crazy. I'm not trying to talk you out of anything. You're not trying to you're not going to talk me into anything. Let's have a meeting of the minds and let's agree to disagree. That's what we're supposed to be about in this country. Sometimes in practice, especially if I write about Trump, if I, you know, because I've written pro-Trump stuff. I've written anti-Trump stuff, too. When he when he when he lied about the pandemic and after the Supreme Court put down his final challenges, I'm like, okay, you had your day in court. Now you, got, now you got to stop. If I write about January 6th, people get hot. I mean, they just yeah. get, they go right to, they go right to DEFCON 1. And if you're not, or, if you, and a, a lot of the pandemic stuff is like that as well. People get like super hot. I want people to die. How dare you? People, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, it ain't 1918. It ain't the flu. It ain't the same. You know, let's talk about this and let's talk about that. So I do try to engage, even if people, you know, come at me hard. But um after a while I'm just like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree and sometimes if I feel like they're a little bit of a threat, I kinda save the email and I you know, and I kinda just keep an eye on it. I don't like and and people who contact me on my personal Facebook page with instant messages and I don't answer them, it's because I don't engage with people on my personal page when it comes to work. It's just, that's not the way to reach me.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, and, and difficult aspect of our profession that people don't always necessarily consider. But th- thanks so much for joining me today, Tom. It was great catching up with you as always. And let's hope we can check some of these items off the wish list in the coming year.
0: Thanks for the invitation, Erica. Uh, anytime for you, pal, all right? Thanks. <laughs> Did
1: you know the borough's first trolley line, which ran from Port Richmond to Myers Corners, opened on July 4th, 1892? Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.